They say patience is a virtue, but I can wait as long as you do for a change. Call me insane, but that's my aim. Hi, guys, and welcome to the 2020 wrap up episode we made it we actually survived 2020 and we thought today would be a great opportunity to reflect on the year and some of the lessons that we might have learned yeah I mean it's weird isn't it because 2021 at the moment just feels like one you know seamless carry-on from uh, in fact quite a sort of deja vu flashback of like lockdowns and stuff that perhaps people thought were were done with so it's a weird start to the year I, I imagine for a lot of people yeah um we're just about a week in and already uh, I think some of the <laughs> initial hope for something different has waned a little bit because um, at least where we are in London, we're back in a national lockdown. But having said that, I do still think there's a lot that we've learned from last year, which means that hopefully maybe even if we're in the same political situation this year, um, we might be able to approach it slightly differently, at least in mindset this episode we're doing something a little bit different and we've actually got some of your voices featuring we asked you all to submit your thoughts on the year and what you had hoped for for this year and we're going to be including some of those voices in this episode so should we get into it yeah let's do it so we've kind of managed to go 10 whole episodes um, of a podcast which was launched during the year of COVID without really focusing on COVID that much. I mean, obviously, it inevitably has come up in people's conversations, but we've not actually, we've not covered it as a topic. We've not sort of decided to kind of make it the, the focus of everything because I guess, although it felt like everything this past year, it is one factor of life and life was running alongside it beforehand and it will hopefully run alongside it after and we kind of have been quite interested by all the other social and political issues that exist and always have existed even if they then may be discussed differently because of COVID they obviously are not new things and so we hope that you know we've been able to kind of take all those things and look at them not just through the lens of COVID. I guess looking at what might have happened this past year apart from COVID, surprisingly, it's actually a lot of stuff, you know? I mean, we say COVID this year was the year of COVID, but I mean, we had an American election, you know, Brexit deal got snuck through and, you know, like some pretty big things Do you things even remember happened. at the beginning of the year, we had the Australian bushfires that like was dominating conversation and billions of animals died. And that just feels yeah. like a centuries ago now. Absolutely. And we had and Mexit and all of these different things that seemed important in January. No, absolutely. Um, and um, I guess another very, very big um, part of this year was um, the kind of resurgence or, you know, another wave of the, the Black Lives Matter movement as well. Yeah, I mean, I think outside of COVID, that was definitely the thing that impacted me personally the most uh, in 2020. Obviously, it wasn't a new movement. It's a movement that's been around for a while and I've been aware of for a while, but this iteration of it just seemed to impact me in a way that it hadn't previously. Mm. Um, and I think it was the first time in my life 
that I felt real exhaustion. Like I've been physically tired before, but in terms of the combination of physical and mental exhaustion, I think that was my first real experience of that. And it just taught me so many things really. But I think ultimately the thing that it taught me the most was the idea or the understanding of the marathon versus the sprint. And the idea that you're always going to have exhaustion if you're aiming to sprint every time that a topic that you're passionate about arises and that you have to treat it as a marathon. And that's both as a direct activist, someone that might be directly involved in activism, but also as people who see themselves as allies of activism. Because I think the other thing that the Black Lives Matter movement this time showed us was the idea of allyship. And I think we spoke quite a lot about the concept of allyship being fairly new in our allyship episode. I was looking into it and over 4,000 cities around the world actually held protests. And we saw things like the Black Squares and Blackout Tuesday, where over 28 million people posted Black Squares in support of the movement this year. So yeah, I think I learned a lot about exhaustion and about almost being tactical, I guess, in activism and the importance of all the other things around organisation and long-term strategies versus the sprint things like standing on the street with placards and posting squares and stuff like that. Looking on sort of Facebook and people's feeds and suddenly seeing all this stuff, um, it's, it's also a bit like, well, just the other day, you called that black woman aggressive when she wasn't being aggressive, she was just being forthright. So actually, this is really annoying that you're suddenly saying this. But it's also a bit like, great, like, great, like, you know, people are finally understanding. And again, it's a bit like, well, you know, I get it because I didn't understand. And why, why would you understand if everything you've ever been told is that these people are lying and it's not real? Yeah. And um, actually, that was what sort of gave rise <laughs> literally to our first episode you know of this podcast we were having so many discussions about all of this and obviously we were already doing stuff with untelevised but we suddenly were like you know what we need to have some slightly longer conversations about this and our you know our first episode titled uprisings um we decided to actually speak to activists from across the spectrum of act of activist work you know an activist who'd been at it for 40 odd years versus a completely newly mobilized young person and therefore trying to get a sense of exactly that like what does long-term fighting mean um and how do people sustain that momentum you can never have a lot of people on the street for a long time. You have to accept that. But you can have a very small section of people who are always in the process, active, doing something. So those people should know how to use these big movements that occur and you know, come to life and go in the right way. And that is the process of real activists, more ser serious activists, organizers, more thinkers who should use that situation and go forward. So Mona, um, Black Lives Matter and the whole idea of activism and allyship and uprisings really struck me last year. What was the sort of theme that struck you the most last year? Oh God, I mean, there was a lot, you know, I mean, one of the things that immediately I came across in my work was um, 
digital exclusion as as one example you know something again that we all take took for granted you know great there's lockdown of course everything's just going to go online um, and yet I was dealing with young people every day who live in youth hostels who live in the social care system who are young refugees or asylum seekers who didn't even have broadband or you know decent laptops or you know so when everything went online and that seemed like an obvious switch for the world I think for a lot of people that really really created an even greater sense of exclusion than they already probably feel in society as it is. Yes. And I think in general, just actually, that was probably the biggest theme really of the year was all these things that we take for granted and that seem universal and that, you know, are just obvious. And yet for some people, they became 10 times harder than others during lockdown. And another one of those was literally the most probably basic universal thing we can think of, which is food essentially, mm, right? Mm, Having mm. access to food and, you know, suddenly the obsession with food completely shifted. And obviously we, you know, we saw the campaigning that began with people like Marcus Rashford kind of having to lead the way on pointing out to literally our governments that people, especially now more than ever with all services shutting and losing wages and whatever, were literally unable to eat. No, I think that was one of the things that definitely was a massive part of both the impact and the response. And you saw everyday people, whether it was on a small scale, going shopping for your neighbours or whether it was joining some of the mutual aid groups that popped up, trying to organise on that basic level how to help feed other people. You saw you saw that become such a big theme. And I think actually in our food episode, it was really interesting to learn about how political food really is and well not to learn but maybe to be reminded about how political food really is and how how it really structures or reflects all of the other issues that we have in society trust the trust released some data in september that said that actually there was an increase of 61 percent in food bank use across last year um and at the beginning of the pandemic half of the people who use food banks had never used them before. Yeah, well, I don't even think I knew that it was actually that many now that you've just said said those stats. And, um, you know, that that episode I ha- that we did on food, I actually had a lot of people message me about that episode, you know, because I think it was, it hit home so hard and I guess it is so universal. Um, and I felt like both Dee and Chris, who we had on that show, were just... Just, that that's when you talk about lifelong activism again <laughs> they really really embody that you know two people who dedicated probably you know 20 plus years of their lives to kind of fighting food inequality and um, food justice um, and I would really recommend listening to that episode on on food food insecurity food is that one thing we all need and we all share but it is also the basis of so much injustice in our lives and in the world. Enslavement and indentureship, the very basis of capitalism and racism has come from food. And whoever controls food controls people. When I'm thinking about poverty uh, and society, and politics all often and always take myself back to a simple um, mantra really I guess which is that I think every human being should have enough to live 
and enough to give. Uh, and I think it's really important for us to create a context where individuals and families uh, can live lives of dignity. And dignity includes the ability to give, to share, uh, to take time out, you know? Another really big topic this year was consumerism. I guess ironically in a time where people maybe had less in terms of money or less security in terms of money, we saw a rise in people actually spending their money, especially online. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, if, the, if there's one conspiracy that's definitely going around, it's that, you know, uh, Amazon planned, planned, planted this whole <laughs> pandemic, you know, I mean, I mean, and you know, you can you can laugh it off. And yet you're like, maybe though. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there was this mix wasn't there, I guess, between people who maybe already were probably in quite precarious situations and maybe therefore weren't anyway the biggest consumers in society already. And then you had people who, you know, were suddenly just sitting at home, still getting paid either on furlough or working from home and getting paid, saving all this money on transport, on gym memberships, on going out for dinner, you know, on et cetera, et cetera. And it, you know, just got used to buy things online, right? I need fitness equipment at home. I need an another desk in another part of the house. You know, I need to keep myself sane at this time. And actually, when we interviewed Ethical Consumer Magazine um, for, the, for our consumerism episode, that's actually what she said. She said that they had actually seen, I guess, maybe slightly silver lining, but they'd seen a massive spike in ethical consumption as well, because mm. maybe people mm. now who didn't have the time to think about it much before were now sitting at home going, ooh, okay, well, I have the money and I can buy stuff. Let me at least maybe then, you know, buy wisely at this time or something like that. But they'd seen mm. a spike in consumption altogether, online consumption, and then perhaps a, a sort of leaning towards ethical consumption in that process. Mm. Yeah, I guess if Amazon didn't plan the pandemic, they've definitely benefited or been the biggest benefiters. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, is the richest person in the world. I mean, he was before the pandemic, but apparently during the pandemic, his personal net worth increased by $74 billion. And for context, there are only 7.8 billion people in the world. So he could literally give each of us 10 <laughs> and <laughs> just with what he's earned in the last year, you know. And I know net worth isn't directly um, reflection of your actual personal bank account. But, but I'm you know, sure he's not. Just to put it into context. <laughs> he could give us all 10 billion and still not really feel it. He'd still have over 100 for himself, you know. So Jeff, that's just for the context of really how much some of the richest people in the world's wealth has grown. Um, and he's amongst global billionaires who have all seen growth in their personal worth. As people that have to buy things to live, whether that's food, energy to keep warm, paying rent, having insurance, um, through to makeup <laughs> and all the other accessories that people choose to buy in their lives, where you put your money, we believe, is an extension of our democratic voting system. So the money that where you choose to put your money is essentially voting for a world that you believe in or is contributing to a, a world of some sort. So using and trying to enable people to use that power in a way that can create a world that is kinder, um, it's where we shift people beyond that like passive consumer image into being 
a critical citizen, an active citizen. Do you know what one of my favourite episodes was this year? And I think it's really actually maybe the flip side of consumption uh, was our workers' rights episode. I think I made it quite clear (laughs) that I really loved our guests on that episode and the insight that they were able to give us into the importance of um, recognising individual power in upholding our rights, especially as workers, which the majority of us are. Yeah, I mean, that we did that episode literally as the last one of, um, of, of last year, you know, just in December. And I mean, you know, if, if there was ever a time when, you know, workers' rights could no longer be taken for granted or, you know, where they were being discussed on a daily basis, even if people didn't really recognize that what they were discussing were workers' rights, you know, because we've kind of almost been dissuaded away from believing we have them or knowing we have them or thinking we should have them. But really, every conversation about whether or not, you know, somebody gets paid if their job is lost because of COVID, you know, whether or not they still have to go to work if it's potentially unsafe to be on public transport or, you know, the construction industry where people had to work really close together and it didn't shut down for a very long time. You know, do you get furloughed? Do you not get furloughed? Does your boss buy you a nice ergonomic chair because you now have to sit at home all day? Like every single one of these things are workers' rights. Um, And I just don't feel that we talk about them as kind of Mm. almost deliberately or as, you know, as passionately as that. But our guests definitely did. Um, And yeah, definitely, you know, when when I was talking to um, Ethical Consumer Magazine, you know, we were kind of touching upon that, that when people look at, what ratings you have for deciding if if a product is ethical. I think people quite quickly think of the environment, whether it has an environmental impact. They might these days think a lot about animal testing and animal rights. And But actually, how do those companies treat their workers? It, it feels to me like it often comes a bit further down the list. Almost um, last on the list. And again, not to um, put Amazon in the spotlight again, because <laughs> they're just probably the biggest example of a symptom that is permeates across all of society but we've got amazon um and the people at the top of amazon's personal growth growing whilst the actual workers are some of the most precarious and people in those kind of gig economy roles are some of the most precarious um workers in our society similarly to all the people who are delivering all the takeaways that we've been having (laughs) in 2020 you can be oppressed in the world for multiple things, you know, quite clearly, you know, on race, on gender or whatever it happens to be. But virtually all of us had to go work, you know. So so there appears to be this overarching issue of, you know, we live in a world where we all have to work for a living. And actually some, some of the people in society are granted these special rights to be able to exploit people and make profits out of us. And the rest of us are sort of trying to play catch up. Well, there is absolutely no way to end (laughs) that reflection or sum up the year or to discuss any of those topics we've just discussed without kind of saying the kind of most obvious word, um, which is capitalism um, and the way that I guess even that has been put in the spotlight this year in a way that maybe it hasn't before in how much people have had to discuss whether or not it really does serve us as a society and whether actually when you hit a pandemic, 
and the optimal you know priority should in theory be people's well-being and that if money wasn't a factor or if making profit wasn't a factor or if keeping the economy going wasn't a factor there would literally be no issue with keeping people safe that could be your priority right but if you have another priority or a conflicting priority which says ah but profit ah but the economy that's the only reason there is any complication there, really, right? Otherwise, it's just so obvious what you need to do in a pandemic. Yeah, and for me, um, it was just so enlightening. It's something I felt before we started doing this, but it was just so enlightening how literally no matter the subject, every guest came back to the idea that we had to address our economic system before we could really, truly radically change any of the issues that they're fighting for so from everything even things that maybe initially people might not think had any relation there's no way you can fight gender equality there's no way you can fight racism there's no way you can fight any of these things until we change the way our system is because our system is designed for people to be at the bottom of it um, and all we're going to do is shift who is at the bottom of it if we don't change our system um, so yeah I I think this is probably one of the episodes where I learned the most in terms of just understanding what that system is made up of and how we might dismantle it. And I think I said in the episode, learning that it was such a new system actually gave me some hope in that, you know, this isn't something that has been ruling our lives for time immemorial. It's something we created and it's something that we can dismantle. Um, and I think our guests actually put that perfectly. Being anti-capitalist doesn't mean refusing progress a lot of people think if you're anti-capitalist you want everyone to um live in poverty um and refuse anything that is produced from the society that we live in now but it just means believing that the values that capitalism rests on so profit private ownership um growth shouldn't be um the determining factors of how we live in our society and I think that it might sound indirect, but I think that, you know, the more we can foster um, education in, in the arts as well, the more we're encouraging people to think in imaginative different ways. So I don't think it's just about learning, you know, the history of colonialism, the history of, of capitalism and alternatives. It's teaching ways of thinking as well. I think we've avoided talking directly about covid for as long as possible now <laughs> we might have to um talk about the elephant in the room we've spoken about this personally obviously loads but just for i guess the benefit of the listeners how would you say that covid affected you in your work and personal life this year well so this has been a really interesting <laughs> subject to me as you as you know because weirdly enough i kind of found that it certainly actually almost like on a personal or at least in my own rhythms and my daily day kind of patterns, it didn't actually affect me that much. There was something very kind of reassuring about figuring out that maybe I'd sort of set up my life, whether deliberately or subconsciously in a way that was alternative enough and kind of resilient enough to kind of withstand, you know, a, a situation like this one. I 
you know, quite some years back, made quite conscious decisions to try and leave the more mainstream, perhaps like charity sector and third sector and so on, where I did go to an office and I did commute and I did sit somewhere, you know, with a desk, you know, eight hours a day or whatever. And the more I've kind of moved into working with frontline grassroots projects, you are always existing kind of outside of those mainstream systems. You know, you, you actually are almost by survival and by default having to come up with alternative systems. And we already as a project, and this was really interesting to me, as a tiny project with the fraction of the money of some of these massive, massive organizations had already therefore got used to the fact that we all worked from home and we did do Zoom calls and we didn't run around London traveling all the time. And, you know, we did have some of our own, you know, we were signed up to a food delivery system for the people that we work with that funnily enough was able to continue during COVID because supermarkets still had all that excess food and there were just so many mechanisms that we had in place which meant that COVID happened and we were so well equipped to respond and that doesn't mean that the people we actually work with in terms of support weren't deeply affected by COVID um, like I said earlier, digit digital exclusion, food, etc. But we as a project were actually surprisingly well placed to kind of address it. Um, and if anything, our, our work improved and I think our funding grew and the rest of the world caught up with us and maybe realized that this was a good way to work. Um, there was a real ch challenge posed to the mainstream institutional ways that a lot of organizations work in. Um, and, and again, um, we had an episode on grassroots, which dealt exactly with this. Um, and, you know, one of the people that spoke on that was, was the co-founder of the organization that I work for, you know, Ian, the co-founder of May Project Gardens, talking about how that wasn't an accident that we were in this position during COVID. I use this notion of biodiversity. And... Um, by doing May Project Gardens, I've really understood the importance, not just in terms of nature, but how do you um, how do you frame that with regards to people? If we don't have diversity within the organization or in the entity or whatever it may be, you don't have resilience. And the reason why people are struggling, particularly large charities, is that because they have not had diversity, whether it's learning styles, whether it's different people from economic backgrounds, whether it's able-bodied people. And that's why now a lot of people are coming to May Project Gardens for solutions because we have that in abundance. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. As someone that works with people across the scale, really massive multinational organizations and then really small grassroots organizations, I definitely observed how much quicker the grassroots organizations were able to adapt and actually how much they started getting called on by the bigger organizations to sort of explain how these things work and how to adapt, etc. Um, and how much quicker they were, they were able to help their beneficiaries, which is what I think is the most important thing. Interesting actually also are the people that have to work within the systems and it was really insightful to speak to um, Cleo and Layla in our systems episode about how that might be possible because I think your personal experience and being able to work at that grassroots level is amazing but I think the majority of people are probably working inside of systems so it was also important for us to have that discussion about how we might make those changes even if we aren't maybe allowed some of the freedoms of working outside of the system too. People have a stereotype sometimes about what it is to be a politician and conventions and how you might behave, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, um, for me, I 
haven't lost sight of who I am. And in fact, I think it's incredibly important to kind of bridge those gaps between grassroots community action and mainstream politics to really drive change. Everyone has got an opinion. Everyone does care. Everyone is talking, but I, I really believe it's now time to amplify those voices and bring them in to the mainstream and into the political arena because sometimes people believe if you're not seen or heard, then you simply don't care. But that's clearly not the case. So we now need to really break it down and demystify political processes. So for example, all of us can understand how to make your opinion known in a full council or your local authority, how to submit a statement, how to submit a question, how to draft that, how to draft a petition, etc etc we need to really tool ourselves up now to make all avenues and strategies disposable to us to demystify the political process and to infiltrate it with more of us so that was kind of our reflections on 2020 what we've learned what people have shared with us and discussed with us and what's really stood out and what we're hoping to bring into 2021. But we wanted to really hear from you guys this episode. And it was actually really insightful because many of you spoke about the same kind of things. Yeah, I mean, obviously... um adjustment and adaption was was one of the biggest things right but actually what was really uplifting was that a lot of people kind of said you know adaption is possible you know at first you might have thought oh my god like how is this going to work and then people were like okay this bit was difficult but then I got to spend more time with my kids and then I saved time on commuting in the mornings and that meant I had the chance to make maybe a home-cooked meal for lunch or you know and there was a real I felt there was quite a theme of like people reflecting on our human resilience um, and our ability to adapt. And that, again, you were talking about um, Fizeo, there being hope in changing capitalism. And I think actually like, yes, I mean, if we survive this year and I mean, and, and a lot of people didn't actually to be to put it, you know, obviously really frankly, but if as a society we kind of did and if anything, we realized that it's not working anymore, then now more than ever, I think there should be a belief that adaption is possible. Yeah, no, and I think for me um, and for us, that is probably one of the few <laughs> um, positives that came from the year was the idea that as a collective society, maybe now we are questioning more what is and why it's like that and what can be. Um, so yeah, we'll pass over to you guys to, to tell us some of your thoughts about this year. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. I think COVID has taught me to value my freedom. A main positive that has come from this year is spending more quality time as a family. I think that lockdowns have shown some ways forward with that and how we can have how we can be a bit more innovative and creative with our tasks perhaps the most obvious positive effect has been on the environment uh, as a result of reduced uh, human activity uh, there's been huge drops in uh, the atmospheric carbon dioxide in uh, big cities despite the global pandemic there have been many positives to this year my daily growing practice 
of yoga helped me to build my confidence and my connection with my community around me. Mental health affects more people than you think. If you think you're the only person going through something, you're not. You're not alone. It shows that communities can come together when needed. There's been what I call the good, the bad and the ugly. The good is those people who recognise the importance of other people and recognise that they are a part of a community. I think it's taught me that we take things for granted, but actually life can change in the blink of an eye really significantly with no warning. There are an awful lot of great, good, kind, loving people out there and that we should be very proud of ourselves as a society. The importance of community um, in helping each other out where you know fear isn't the dominating factor but where we choose to act from a place of love and compassion and empathy for one another. So I would hope 2021 would be a good year to enjoy all the things we usually have and maybe a bit more. Um, hoping for good health, hoping for the little things of life that we've taken for granted probably in the past and being able to continue my job, seeing the kids grow, and hopefully COVID will be something of the past. I approach all of this with the idea of I'm trying to be a better person myself. I'm trying to be a better teacher, a better partner. I'm trying to just be a better human being. My hopes moving into 2021, that things get back to a bit of normal, but we keep the good things that have come out of it. I don't know when this virus will end, but I hope that people continue to have these amazing and important conversations. Because even though COVID has been a part of everyone's life, we've still been talking about climate change and the Black Lives Matter movement. And I really hope we can continue to have these important conversations about our current systems and structures. I mean, in general, I'm not really sure what will happen next. And I think I'm okay with that. Because I think next year in 2021, I'd just like to continue trying my best and making sure others around me are doing okay. COVID, it's made me stronger. Also as well, it just made me appreciate um, the things that I do have. My hopes for 2021 is that COVID disappears from our lives, never to be seen or heard of again. But more importantly, that as a society, both globally and nationally, we look at the inequalities that have been exposed by the pandemic and put real stringent efforts into resolving some of them. It shouldn't be that we have people in this world who are trillionaires, while others literally cannot afford to eat. Okay, guys, um, that's it for this episode. Thanks for helping us and supporting us and listening and joining us every episode in 2020. We'd like to continue to survive into 2021. So if you can continue to follow us, subscribe, rate and review us and all the good things that you can do. We're going to take a bit of a break for the rest of January, but we'll be back in February with some new content and episodes. So if there's anything you'd like us to cover, please do let us know. We're on Instagram at untelevised underscore TV. And you can also email us at talk to untelevised at gmail.com. The two is a digit two rather than T-O. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think we were very uplifted by um, how many of you did send us your thoughts on 2020 already gone by, and they were really great to listen to. And I'm sure people, you know, people would like to listen to other voices than ours. So um, we spoke about adaption. We spoke about human resilience. Um, you know, how many of you maybe discovered what maybe matters more in life really than the material things and than the habits that we've created. So please do tell us what do you need to learn? What would you like to explore to make that actually a mantra to take, you know, and not just a mantra, but a, but an actual effective change to take into 2021? Yeah, indeed. And I guess if any of you have had a taste of being a guest with your, with your shorter clips and you'd like to be a slightly longer guest and you think you have something to contribute, let us know. Okay, take care of yourself, guys. Yeah, happy new year. Bye. Call me a dreamer idealistic believer with my head in a cloud I don't want to come down but my feet are planning on starting around but my ground